Even though the groundswell is growing And I admit we're not all knowing And though we're carving solutions Hi guys and gals, and welcome to the Disrupt Ed podcast where we discuss new and innovative ideas in education and mix in a few healthy rants for good measure. Our goal is to give you ideas to reimagine your classrooms and communities. Hope you enjoy it. This is an interview I did with a former student named Emily Shermack, who was actually in my CEO class, and she is almost like a daughter to me now. She's 20 years old. She took a very non-traditional path in education following high school. And I'm excited to share her story and give people some outside perspective, particularly if you're in education. Very interesting to pay attention. Hope you enjoy it. I had Emily in class, in the first CEO class that I did, in which I knew nothing. I had no idea what I was doing. And Emily is very type A, organized, although she has a messy car, right? You're a messy car person. Oh, yeah. My room's messy, but my life's in order, I'd like to think. Yeah, right. So anyway, um, but through CEO, it's totally changed my perspective on education and through your experiences and what you've done, being in K-12 education, starting off in college and then realizing it wasn't for you, you've actually gotten into talking about education a little bit. You've written some blog posts that will link to this podcast and things like that. So who are you, Emily? And um, what are you doing now? I'm Emily Shermack. I was a 2015 graduate and I was in the first year of the CEO program. Since then, I have, I went to school for a little bit. I went to college immediately right after high school and I dropped out just because I wasn't learning anything to be honest. I was going for a marketing degree and I was fortunate enough to actually have all my college paid for but it was just a waste of time to me and I wanted to actually be doing something. I wanted to be making to start doing stuff. Yeah I wanted to be making an impact and like actually doing stuff and like telling people yeah I'm 18 years old and like I have a marketing job like I'm super smart and I didn't want to be defined by a signature on a piece of paper saying I have a degree. I didn't want that to define me. Um, So now I currently work at Platform Marketing as an account manager there and absolutely loving what I do. And you're 20 years old. Yep, I'm 20 years old, yes. And you're moving to Austin, Austin, Texas in two days. Yes. And I have to get your phone fixed before you leave on Saturday. Absolutely. Which you have total (laughs) confidence in me to do, right? Right. Yep. Um, So... You've written some blogs, or you've written some blog, blog posts? Yeah. Papers, white papers, what are they? Blog posts, yeah. Okay, do you have a website? Yes. Okay, what's the website? My website is emilyshermack.com. Very original. I know. How'd you come up with that idea? You know, it was just, let's make this as simple as possible so people can find me. (laughs) Pretty smart. Um, So, what are some of the topics you talked about? Um, I talk a lot on different subjects, but the main one that I talk about is probably education and how it's a mold that needs to be broken and how people cannot um, be put into a mold and just expect to succeed just like everyone else. Um, So I talk a lot about how education isn't a one-size-fits-all and how it needs to be personalized and every person who goes through the educational system needs to do it differently um, depending on their skills and their abilities. So when you say mold, you're talking about 
like a couple different things. You're talking about like a societal expectation of what education is and what you should do as a high school graduate. That's part of the mold. The other yes. mold is the actual system of K-12 education right now, where it is you move on based on your age. Everyone has the same requirements. Everyone has to do this. You write papers, you do activities, you work on things that you actually never work on in real life. Absolutely. Like I've never written a paper since I was in high school. And the only <laughs> other time, or since I was in college, actually, I would have failed college if I didn't write papers. But since I've been out of school, I've never written a paper in my adult life. Right. Um, the closest maybe I've come is applying for grants, but those were odd, you know, ironically or coincidentally, that was writing papers for other public institutions to try to get money from them. Um, but I've never written a paper on my own. I've actually never written a blog, really. You have. I have, yeah. Have you um, used calculus since you got out of high school or college? No, I didn't even use it when I was in calculus. That's right. why I didn't finish calculus. I was in pre-calc for two days, decided that was dumb, and I dropped out. <laughs> I made it through pre-calc. I made it through pre-calc. The only thing I remember about pre-calc was my best friend, Mitch Travis. Um, he and I were pre-calc together, and luckily we were next to this really, really smart girl who was actually a seventh grader that was in our pre-calc class. And, um, She's breaking the mold, see? <laughs> yeah. And the only thing I remember from that class is that he built an entire like two foot tall man out of starburst during class impressive yeah it was like the entire body was green <laughs> so they would like knock off starburst that's what they weren't good that's why we didn't eat them we made a little person is it mambas no mambas are delicious yeah i love this mambas. was like some sam's club <laughs> terrible they were not good they were rock hard but he actually chewed them up to soften them and then made a human out of them <laughs> In class, oh and I remember specifically he made it so it was seated on the edge of the desk. It was amazing, and um, but yeah, we had to ball it up and throw it away at the end. There were no camera phones, so I had no proof. But he would remember the story. Uh, I have never used calculus in my entire life. Not to say that there aren't people that use it in their jobs, but I'm guessing the people that use it in their jobs also um, studied it in college more. Also, we're trained by whatever it is they do on how to use it and where it applies. Um, so it does seem odd that even 10th grade math, you know, I rarely ever, if ever, have used that. But everyone has to take it. Yes. How do you feel about that? Um, it's, it's a difficult subject that a lot of people don't want to talk about um, because... I myself, I'm totally an advocate for breaking the mold, um, whether it be the actual curriculum that you're going through or the expectations that society kind of sets for you. Um, and whenever I say that, people constantly think, oh, it's just because you were so smart when it came to this subject that you wanted to excel in that. Um, and that's totally not the case. Actually, when I was in fifth grade, I got pulled out of school because I couldn't read. Um, a basic skill that you need in life, I would say. I couldn't read, and so I was pulled out of school um, so that I could go through therapy and like reteach my brain on how to read. Because of that therapy, I then excelled in reading, and I actually started to enjoy it. Um, but reading affects all of the subjects. It affects your entire life. I couldn't do my science homework without it. I couldn't do math. I couldn't do social studies. I couldn't do anything. Um, so I was actually further down on the spectrum of being able to excel in things. Um, but once I was kind of caught up to pace, I realized how all my classmates had to be kind of backed up to my level. So they couldn't 
excel until I was up to their level. The teacher wouldn't give us the test until I was fully understanding um, of what was going on in the class until I was, you know, I was up to their level. And so I realized I was holding other kids back. Once I got to high school, I realized this was totally the case as well. Once I actually started excelling in business classes, I had to wait for all the other kids to catch up to where I was until I could go on to the next module. I specifically remember my keyboarding class with Jaina Peterson, and I had finished the entire course two months earlier than all the other kids. And, you know, I just sat there in class and waited and waited and waited until some of the kids were even halfway done through a module. And I just sat there and waited because they they had put a curriculum down. I rocked the socks off of the curriculum, finished it. She still says I'm the fastest one to go through that program. But because I finished it so fast, I sat there and wasted time. I would do other homework for other classes. So it's I think it's really important for curriculums to be... Um, kind of creative and assigned to each individual instead of an entire group of kids and giving them all the same thing because they're all going to excel at different areas within the curriculum. So if we're going to, how, how do you think we would get there? Like, do you, we probably can't take, say, take K-12 education. We probably can't do it because it's not feasible to just say, uh, everyone stop what you're doing right now. Let's totally do it a different way. Do you think we start, do you think it's you know better to start like with certain classes or certain levels? Do we start at kindergarten? Do we start at high school? Where do you think we start? Personally, if I had kids in the system and I was able to do, or, and I was able to give them an education, I wouldn't put them through public schools because public schools aren't going to change. It's just kind of a fact. It's government run, so it's not going to change. I personally would unschool my children, which just means I wouldn't put them down and say, here's a math book, here's this. Um, I would bring them to events or bring them to conferences and different meetings where they're going to actually learn skills. And then after, you know, they might sit there quietly, but after that event happens, they're going to be wondering, hey, mom, what's a business plan? Hey, mom, what is this? Hey, mom, can you teach me this? And then what they have curiosity in, that's where you kind of give them more content and kind of information behind so that they can excel in whatever area they want to do. Because why would you, you know, like we were saying before, why would you teach a kid calculus if they are going for, you know, X degree that doesn't right. earn? What about, what about if you had your kids like go all the way through eighth grade and then after that you did your sort of unschooling thing? So like they get all the reading, they get all that kind of base information. And then they can decide what they're interested in and go and do their thing. Absolutely. I actually know a lot of um, kids who are my age, um, so they're you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, who they stopped school when they were about 16 years old. Um, they dropped out of high school, and then they just started working at a startup company. Um, I actually know a girl, um, her name's Caitlin, and she, when she was 16 years old, um, dropped out of school and her parents weren't fully supportive of it, but she started working remotely for a company in Australia, hmm. like a remote startup technology company. And she's just kicking butt there. She's the head of customer service at 16 years old um, and absolutely rocking at what she's doing because it's what she wants to do. And she learned the skills possible to land that job, providing value and providing um, resources and examples on why she would be so fit for that job. 
Sure. And so talking about this, you know people will feel uncomfortable listening to it, particularly people in K-12 education. Oh, absolutely. So what we want to do is I firmly believe there's something to learn from everybody and everyone's perspective. What do you think they should, if I'm, if I'm a teacher, administrator, superintendent in K-12 education, when I hear this, how do you think, like, I don't want to just get emotional and say that girl doesn't know what she's talking about. She's 20 years old. Um, but how can I take what you're saying and try to make my school better? To make your school better and to try to break the mold slightly if you're in you know, public schools or even private schools, um, I think giving more attention to each student helps. Personally, for me, when I was in math, I did not get it. Like The numbers just did not match up in my head, and I was never able to understand. But thankfully to one of my teachers, she spent more time with me at the beginning of class and at the end of class, and she helped me kind of get up to speed with the rest of the kids. And that was breaking the mold. Her Instead of her just up there speaking in front of a whiteboard on you know, X minus plus Y, all that jazz, she would, you know, do a little bit and then she would say, okay, now it's question time and everyone could ask questions. We could get more personalized help. Um, we had time before school and after school to get extra help. Um, but I personally believe teaching it where it's, you know, that they're going to use it um, going forward. Cause I was always that student that said, that every, every teacher hates, you know, when that yeah. one student says, when am I going to use this in my real life? Or like, why is this important? Yeah, why is this important? I was always that kid, especially in math and science, because I was like, I know I'm not going to pursue a career in, like, engineering or something. And all the teachers would just say, well, because it's part of the curriculum. And that was such a dumb answer to me. I'm like, well, maybe you should, like, change the curriculum and you know, start, start putting value in front of us, something that I'm actually going to use going forward. Because now we have so many resources at our fingertips. Um, if I actually need to use the Pythagorean, the Pythagorean, the Pythagorean yeah, that thing, yep. if I actually need to use that, I can Google it. Like, and I, I will get thousands, hundreds of thousands of searches on different resources that I can tap into. I bet, I bet you could say, Hey Siri, what is the Pythagorean theorem? And she would be able to just pull it up. Oh, absolutely. Let's yeah. Test that. Hey Siri, what is the Pythagorean theorem? Pythagorean theorem. Oh, in mathematics, the Pythagorean theorem, also known as Pythagoras theorem, <laughs> is a fundamental relation in Euclidean geometry among the three sides of a right triangle. And so I could instantly learn how to use it, and, and that was from my watch, right? Yeah, and your watch barely even knew what you were saying because nobody even knows the word. But we're still living our lives as if that didn't even matter. So if I'm, you know, it's tough. So that superintendents, principals, teachers, right, are... Funded by tax taxes. The taxes are then controlled by the legislature or other local organizations or federal organizations. And they say you have to teach these standards, right? And so when they say, when a teacher says to you, like, well, it's in the standards, I'm legal, I have to teach it. That's true. I do think that sometimes that could that answer is used as a crutch for not actually trying to think of new ways to do things. 
Um, when I was an econ, if you look at the nine through twelve, or the the high school econ standards in the state of Minnesota, they're fairly elaborate, and there's a lot of stuff there. And sure, we touched on a lot of that stuff, um, but I found that I had more latitude for making this relevant to students than I initially was told that I did. So, um, you know, we did things I hope that were relevant or that people remember. And, um, but a lot of the stuff is not actually usable by everybody. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's, if you look at the Wilmer High School, you, everyone can tell you, especially from like my grade and um, people who are older than me, they can tell you who their favorite teachers are in the high school. And I guarantee you it's Tyler Gerking. I guarantee you it's Amy Grusing. And I guarantee you it's Lyle Hovland. Because the way that they present the information is they're telling it in stories. They're telling it um, in a way that you're going to remember it because the human mind um, is attracted to stories. They want to feel connected to something. And those three people, the way that they taught, you could tell that they actually had a passion for what they're doing. Every teacher is going to say, oh, I just have a passion for kids. I just love teaching. Well, if you're not connecting with the students, like that passion's just really not coming through. And that's more of a personal thing. That a lot of my stories were lies. Yeah, I know. You told me this after I graduated, Did and that I kind of your heart a and it, bit? it kind of made me mad because I was like, we played Monopoly, and you told us like all these stories about this game, and they were all lies. <laughs> Not all lies. They had some basis of truth, <laughs> but you remembered them at least. Yes, I did. I remembered the stories, and same with like Hopeful and Fruity Pebbles on Toast, yeah. like. The viewers here probably have no idea what I'm talking about, but yeah. if you ever had his class, you're like, oh, yeah, I know what fruit, Fruity Pebbles on Toast Everybody is. remembers that. Exactly. Every single kid that he's ever had that I run into, that is one of the first things they bring up, and they'll never forget it. Absolutely. Um, so let's let's shift a little bit into entrepreneurship for young people. And so in CEO, I think it's a good example of how to – use the content or the content area, which is entrepreneurship business, actually just as a flavoring to teach real life. So yes, in CEO, we, we like, you are starting businesses, you are learning about what that takes and networking with people, but really it's a life class. Like we're teaching you how to be an adult and how to be successful in life. We just use that as the flavor. And I'm not smart enough to know how to do that with calculus. I'm not smart enough to know how to do that with anatomy. But I think there are people that are, and I think there are teachers that are, they're really just not given a chance to figure that out because they're so maxed out all the time. And I wouldn't uh, say that they're not given a chance. They just don't make time for it. Um, it is between September 1st and June 1st, physically and mentally impossible to come up with new ways of doing things because you have so much to do. It's true. June, July, and August, you definitely can. But then you're doing it all for free. Um, and in schools that have bad cultures, it's just not going to happen. In schools that have good cultures, there are teachers that do that. Um, but bad cultures is really hard. So when we're looking at entrepreneurship and young people, what do you think the value that has or that, that topic has for all students, not just students that are you know interested in business? I think... The skill of being an entrepreneur is extremely important just because anyone can be an entrepreneur and being an entrepreneur can be in so many different fields. If you want to, you know, like we said, if you want to be a calculus 
teacher or a mentor or something, you can do that being an entrepreneur. If you wanted to start a makeup company, you can do that. If you wanted to start selling peanut butter, you can do that. So there's so many different areas where you can be an entrepreneur that it just takes hard work. It just what, takes... What about, uh, I should be more specific, what about like entrepreneurial thinking, the value that has, no matter if you're actually going to own a business or you know, work in a company or whatever, entrepreneurial thinking to me is super crucial for all kids because it is almost the opposite of everything they're taught in K-12 education. Absolutely. Being an entrepreneur is thinking differently. It's thinking how to do something more efficient or do it better. Um, so I think it's super important when kids are taught those skills because everything is run by entrepreneurs. Um, you know, Apple, entrepreneur, all the devices that we have in our pockets, that was an entrepreneur that had an idea thinking, how can we make the phone more, you know, how can we utilize this more in our everyday life? That was an entrepreneur who thought that. So even just getting into the entre entrepreneur mindset of, you know, when you buy a burger, you're doing this for that entrepreneur. When you're doing, you know, X, Y, Z, there's an entrepreneur behind that idea of why you're doing that. Right. The other thing too is that companies, so here's, here's what I think is really interesting. And this is, I think, maybe at a core of why K-12 education is, was frustrating for you or when you look at it now, is frustrating for you. Is a lot of times we tell, I think the majority, especially of high school classes, is we tell kids what to know, not really how to think about mm -hmm. stuff. This is what you need to know. And the kids ask why. For is, the test. Which is a natural question that every human would ask. And then when the only answer is for the test or you'll need this in college, um, I hear those answers and I don't ever hear anything related to the real world. I hear you need this for the test. Well, the test isn't real world. that only exists in school. Mm -hmm. um, or you need it for college. College isn't the real world. It, again, is separate from the real world. It is school. So if we can't answer that question with a real world answer, um, either you haven't looked hard enough yet or there isn't one. So I would say to all teachers out there, when you get that question, um, find someone in the community that can answer it for you if you don't know. And if you can't find anyone in your community or you can't find it online, then really you should think about you know, how much time you're spending on that topic. Yes, legally you still have to cover it, so make it quick, but then focus on the things that, you, that, that actually are easy to answer when it comes to that. So if someone says, you know, why do I need to learn how to you know, uh, uh, code this program, right? Easy answer. That one's pretty easy That's because look at where all of the growth is. Look at the new, you know, skill set of coding and how that can be used in every single field that you're in, right? There are harder ones when you're, um, you know, working on something maybe in higher level math. Why do we need this? I still think there's an answer, but if you don't have it ready as a teacher, you need to go find it, right? So find careers where that works and then teach the kids about the career. If they're like, oh, that looks sucky. I don't want to do that. Well, then maybe direct them to a different class. Right. Mm -hmm. So then you're stuck with the kids or not stuck with the kids. You have the kids that are interested in why it's important and then we'll engage it instead of just all of the kids. And it's only important because of something that's fake. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. And so why I like entrepreneurship education so much is 
Thinking entrepreneurially is valuable in any single field you go into. Companies no longer value knowing who the 11th president is off the top of your head. They no longer really value if you know the Pythagorean theorem off the top of your head, because guess what? If Siri can answer it in less than 10 seconds, it probably doesn't have that much value anymore. Yeah, funny story about that, actually. One of my coworkers, she's 19 years old. Um, just to break on her quick, 19 years old, she works at a ad agency with me. She's building a brand new house. I mean, at 19 years old, that is crazy because this girl brings value to whatever she's doing. But we were working together this past summer and while we were working together, we were talking about the continents for some reason. And uh, she said, well, I can't list all, all seven continents. She didn't even know there were seven, actually. And we're like, well, just try, Diana. Just try to list them. And she goes on. She's like, okay, well, America, South America, um, Africa, Russia, Iceland. And she's like, okay, is that it? And we're like, are you kidding me? Like, she didn't know the continents. And so we were making fun of her. And she just simply said, well, guys, that's... I don't want to clog my brain with stuff that I don't actually need to know. If I need to know that, I'll just Google it. And she was absolutely right. I mean, such a basic skill that I thought everyone knew. Turns out not everyone knows it. And this girl's a genius, but she doesn't know what all seven continents are. But she's right. If I need to know it, I'll Google it. Right. And the same thing happens in high-level math. If, if I need to know that for my job, I'll know it. Right. They'll either train me or I'll, I will have taken it in college because I chose to, mm-hmm. um, because I'm interested in the career, not the technical knowledge. You get too hung up on the content instead of where it's going to take you and Absolutely. What, you can, what you can do with it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I agree. I think she should know that. And I would, <laughs> I would guess she learned it pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. Because when... there are only seven of them. And she's like, <laughs> Hey, Siri, what are the seven continents? And Siri said, here they are. And she goes, oh, now I've got it. Yeah. So now she knows it. But yeah. it was because we made fun of her and made gave her a reason to know what the continents were. Just kidding. Is this live? Yeah. We're broadcasting. Thanks. Thanks. We're broadcasting live. Oh. Okay. Let's start over. Okay. What else if you could talk directly to teachers? in a positive way to help them make it better what could what could they do what should they think about in a positive way like we don't want to it's it's one thing to rip on things it's another thing to which is pretty easy to do especially with k-12 education today because it's pretty disconnected from reality how can we talk to them in a way that makes them either like it's a framework change where they have to change their thinking which will then lead to better ideas or is there anything concrete where like you know what, instead of doing it this way, do it this way. I would say if they can get their mind into thinking that they have a curriculum and then just ripping the pages from that curriculum, like ripping it apart, setting it on fire, and then now they have to reteach it on their own, they will teach a hundred times more efficiently and and better. Um, And kids will understand it more if they just don't go off the pages in the book and they go from, you know, experiences or stories even in math and science, like I know science teachers are probably thinking, I can't tell a story with, you know. The good teachers do. Right. Yes, they do. And that those were the teachers that I actually enjoyed their classes. Mm-hmm. Like I remember one day I went home to my mom and I said, 
I want to be, I want to be an accountant. And my mom's like, Emily, you hate math. And I was like, I know, but I have a good teacher now. Like, and I think I like math now. Like, I think I like addition or I think I like, you know, whatever. And she was like, okay, like a, the teacher makes a difference. And it's mm-hmm. totally true that if you don't teach out of the book and you teach, um, by student and by each experience that they're going through, um, you're going to teach much more efficiently. And I think maybe not efficiently at first, right? Oh, absolutely. You're going to make mistakes. Yeah, it won't be all that efficient. And the efficiency we're talking about is not efficiency for the teacher. It's efficiency for the student and the learner. Absolutely. There's, different, there's a difference. What happens, I think, sometimes is we don't think about this necessarily and because it, it's, you know, uh, a little bit selfish. But I think what happens is in an organization like a K-12 school system, is the teachers start to think it's the student's job to make their lives easier. Um, the principals start to think it's the teacher's job to make their lives easier as the principal. The superintendents start to think that it's everybody's job to make their lives easier when in fact it should be opposite of that. The superintendent should make the principal's job easier. The principal should make the teacher's job easier. The teacher's job should make the student's learning easier. And I think sometimes we get that flipped around unconsciously or subconsciously. And um, so I think that's definitely something that um, we need to fix. I was always that student that was asking, why do I need to learn this? Or when am I going to use this in my real world? Why should I care? Yeah, why should I care? And um, I was recently um, on an advising session with one of my mentors and Um, He kind of gave me an assignment and I kind of looked at him and he looked at me and he was thinking, well, you know, are you going to do it? And I kind of looked at him and I said, well, that just doesn't make sense for me to do that. Why do I need to do this? So I was asking that same question as I'm fast forward through high school. And he said, well, if you don't think that this is value for you, um, valuable for you right now, show me something that is valuable that will still get you towards your goal. And right when he said that, it was like a mind blown moment. Like, why don't schools do this? You know, if I didn't want to do that certain assignment, not necessarily because I didn't want to do it and I was too lazy to, it was more of a mind mindset kind of change of like, why do I need to do this? Like, how is this going to excel me into my life? I think there's two questions. When you say, why do I need to do this? Kids ask it for two reasons. And I think they're important. One, how is it relevant for me in my life? Two, the question could be asked, why am I doing all this homework? I already know it all. Right, exactly. And so when he asked me, like, well, do you have a better value proposition? I was thinking, oh, well, no, but I'll come up with one. So I literally, the next advising session that we had a week later, I said, okay, I know you wanted me to do this, but here's how I've changed it so that I think it's a little bit more valuable on my path in getting to my goal and to my my like touchdown victory and because I brought so much value around that he instantly thought okay well she's thinking outside the box on how she's still able to do lots of work to get to her goal but the way that she came up with it it's more efficient now for her um you know she cut out some some of the stuff that she knew wasn't probably necessary and she only put in what was absolutely necessary to get her to her goal so this is why I'm a huge fan of project-based learning Absolutely. And CEOs project-based learning on steroids. So everyone knows what PBL is, or you better know if you don't know, figure it out. And that is 
you propose either a problem or a goal to your students and you allow them to figure out how to achieve that. So, you know, the, the 10,000 foot perspective is you've set the goal or they have a problem to solve. In order to accomplish what it is they're trying to do, they have to get through all of this minutia, mess, whatever, whether it's work on skills or apply their own skills or learn something to get that thing done. And you're saying working through that big mess of accomplishing that thing, that is where the real learning happens. Absolutely. And the reason I like that, one, is it's more like real life. And two, it allows students to look at the goal and then apply whatever it is they're good at. What are my skills and how can I best accomplish that? And that's going to be different than how you do it or how another student does it because they're looking at their own skills and what they're good at. And the fact is, in life, we focus on what you're good at and we put you in situations that allow you to take advantage of what you're good at. And in school, we focus on what you're bad at. Mm -hmm. And we spend almost all of our time focusing on what you're bad at. Tests. And, and, there, and there, are some good, there are some good with that. If you're not a good reader, you should probably be a functional reader before you finish school. Right? <laughs> yep. That makes sense. But sometimes if, it's, if you're struggling in calculus or you're struggling with math or, or in a course, you're struggling with a certain portion of it, we spend all of our time doing that. Um, or focusing on a skill that isn't natural for you instead of allowing you to apply the skills you're naturally good at to accomplish a goal. So that's why I'm a huge fan of PBL. Absolutely. And that doesn't just apply when you're in high school or even when you're in fifth grade. It can apply when you're in college. It can apply if you're not doing college. It can apply when you're 70 years old. It can apply at any right. stage in your life. And so that's why I actually did Praxis is basically CEO then on steroids. Right. Um, and it's an after high school slash a lot of people. P-R-A-X-I-S. Yes. Which and the website is discoverpraxis.com. Yep. I'll link that in the podcast as well. Okay. I actually did Praxis because it's basically CEO on steroids. Um, a lot of people do it after high school or sometimes they do it after college because they're not really sure what the next step is. Um, you know, they might have skills in computer coding or they might have skills in marketing or sales, but they don't know how to actually now go get a job. Um, right. because so it's a, it's a nine month program. Mm -hmm. The first three months are. First three months are boot camp. So whatever kind of area you want to go into or you think you want to go into. Um, so for me, it was marketing. You know, I wanted to do marketing. So I went through a three month boot camp of where you build a website, you build um, basically your personal branding so that after that three months is done, you've built skills that now you can actually go out and interview for jobs. So you're interviewing for tech startups um, all across the country. They have some in Australia, some in Europe. So they're actually all over the world. And you get the job for six months um, act after you are, of course, accepted and you've provided value to them. And so, but that six month as a as in paid internship, Yep. You are not the coffee runner. You're not Absolutely the person not. that just like moves the furniture. Right. Um, you are actually working with the CEO every single day and growing that startup. One of my friends, she grew the business by 300% just herself, like not her team, herself. And she was the head of hiring. She was the head of all of their customer service. Like she basically ran the business at 17 years old because she provided so much value to them that how could they not hire her? They didn't care if she didn't have a college degree. She provided skills and said, here's what I'm going to do for your business. And this is why you need to hire me. Instead of saying, I have a marketing degree from the University of Minnesota. 
Um, and I loved college and the college experience was great. And I think I know how to do marketing. You know, nobody cares that you have a degree anymore. Degrees, everyone has them now that they're just kind of sitting there. Well, and here's, here's the truth is all of the person graduating from the University of Minnesota with a marketing degree has a lot of knowledge related to marketing. Um, what they lack then are those bootcamp style skills, like actually understanding how what it's like in a culture, what it's like in a business, how to communicate well, how to show mm-hmm. up, all of the things that actually make you successful in life. They haven't gotten a chance to learn any of that, but they do have a lot of technical knowledge. They just don't know how to apply it. Right. When you go through Praxis or when you're when you um, go through something like CEO, you learn all of those soft skill stuff. Soft skills. That's what people know them as. Mm-hmm. They're actually, you know, they're. The most important things that lead to success in right. life are those things. We work on those things. And what's happened because of the internet is now all of those technical skills are super easy to get. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go to a four-year college and spend thirty grand a year. You can just Google whatever you need when you need it. So if you've got the soft skills down, you can learn whatever you need to learn on exactly. the fly. And one of the deliverables actually for Praxis when you're in that boot camp is you have to make your own personal website. I didn't know computer coding skills and I sure as heck wasn't going to try to learn them for one website that I was going to build. So guess what? It was an opportunity cost for me to learn those skills. So I hired that out, but then I learned how to actually maintain the website. So I didn't know how to actually build the website from scratch, but I knew how to do basic WordPress skills that now if I want to pitch myself to a company and say, hey, I'll fix your website for you. I can do that. And if I need to learn a couple more skills in there, guess what? Google it or find a mentor. Right. And for those of you out there that are wondering that you think building websites is some ambiguous, challenging thing, it's now modular and it's now drag and drop. Oh, totally. Go to Wix, go to GoDaddy. Even WordPress has a WordPress Lite that's essentially drag and drop stuff. So if if that's a barrier for you starting a business or doing whatever it is you want to do, so this is anyone at any age, go to one of those websites. I find Wix to be the easiest drag and drop one. And you can build a website in an hour. Oh, totally. 50 hours, however, you know, customized you want it to be. Um, And so don't let that be a barrier. But yeah. Absolutely. My current boss, he said... You know, I have this client that needs a website built. I know that you were able to build one. Can you build one for him? And I was like, uh, well, I'll, and he's like, well, it's, it's going to be 10 grand. And I was like, I can do it. Like I will find the skills necessary if I have to hire even like a half an hour out. Um, you know, I can do that, but you know, 10 grand money talks. I, I will find the skills in order to do that. Right. Right. Well, cool. I think this was fun. What did you think? Yeah, it was good talking about education and how to break molds. <laughs> uh-huh. um, the podcast, by the way, is titled Disrupt Ed, so disrupted. And I think that we need to disrupt a lot of the things that are happening. And I think K-12 education is actually a little bit ahead of higher ed when it comes to transforming to what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, higher ed, I think, is further behind. But both industries, regardless, are ripe for disruption. They need to be disrupted to be relevant. Yep. So that's where I got the name, just so you know. Nice. Cool, I like huh? it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you like it on air. You can tell me the truth. No, I can. I, can it, it, I like the name. It's oh, cool. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, thanks, cool. Emily. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Boom. As always, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that. And if you're in education, 
keep working on breaking stuff. We need to fix a lot of things. So if you have ideas, if you have, if you have uh, something you'd like to vent about or something that you'd like for us to discuss, feel free to email me, tyler at buildmastereducation.com or find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever works for you and we'll get discussing those things. Thanks a lot guys, take care.